Welcome everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast, coming to you from my little wood shop in the backyard at DTM Enterprises. Uh, go to dtmww.net, I got a little handyman uh, woodworking business here locally in the Louisville metropolitan area. If you need anything like that, please contact me. Um, the music around this podcast is brought to you by Darren Frank. He has written that music. Our friend Jesse has helped produce it. And uh, I think it's neat that we have people in the program putting the music around to this thing. Uh, Another little added benefit, keep Darren in your prayers as he continues his physical rehabilitation. Uh, 12-Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. It can be found on Amazon. It is a uh, magnum opus kind of style of the 12 steps. A bigger big book with a lot more of the actual mechanics of the steps and, and, and... uh, some of the psychological background behind them. Uh, it's geared up for anybody, not just people who fit traditional 12-step programs. Uh, it, it, it's a, we've found it this way of life. This 12-step program will work for anybody. And uh, if you're looking for some, uh, maybe some guidelines on how to, how to, how to be a little more, how to, how to have a little bit more happiness in your life, as, as you take this trip on this big blue marble, you might check that out. 12-Step Spiritual Recovery, James Christopher Cohn on Amazon. And spiritualunderground.org is my little website where I post pictures and uh, show notes and, and links to the podcast also. And just as a side, uh, Anchor is who hosts this. Anchor FM is who hosts this podcast. And it also can be found on all the major pa- uh, podcast platforms, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora. Uh, quite a few, 10, 10 or 12 different platforms. So if you're not finding it, you can send me a note and I can help you with that. So today we have a guest and I love these deals where I meet somebody at the driveway. That's happened again. Um, I don't, I didn't know Angela, uh, Tamara, I believe is who, who recommended. And, and just to be completely frank, what, uh, I've had a lot of male guests. I'm trying to balance the gender gap I have going on in here. And, uh, and the main thing is the reason for that was because I'm in a men's home group and those are the guys I had on here to begin with, but now we're branching out and getting some more people on here. And like I said, I get to have a new friend every time somebody comes in the studio. So I, I like that little collateral benefit portion of what I, what I get to receive as a gift of having these, uh, guests that I haven't met before in, in the studio. Plus I get to hear a story. I don't know. Uh, you know, some of the, some, frankly, these people I know, I know their stories. So I sit here and I listen to something I've heard before and this is all <laughs> new news to me. So I like that. How you doing tonight, Angela? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Old rainy Wednesday night and mm-hmm. yards flooded and it's been dreary for a few days. Kind of getting me down a little bit. I'm, yes. I'm usually not weather affected. I am with uh, rain. Are you? And snow. And, and cold. snow and cold. Anything but spring and summer yeah. affects me. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I usually am not, but I've noticed here this year, I've, uh, been a little bit more affected by the, the dreariness, the. Seems like the, we've had more rain than winter this winter. It does not seem so like much. that. Yeah. 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 Somebody else said, at least this isn't snow. That's very true. It'd be a lot of snow. It could be. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we start out here on sobriety date, usually just to give a, a anchor point to where a person is at. I know a lot of times, you know, I do believe quality of recovery is bigger than quantity absolutely yeah uh but i like to do that because it's an important date in my life yep mine is december 13th 2004 2004 so if i do my real quick I, my calculator ain't working that's that's 16 15 years 15 years yeah. Be 16 coming up this on 16 december, yeah. yeah 
Well, cool. Congratulations on Thank that. You. That is, uh, I love the, uh, <clears throat> I love the, I have had people in here with like, I like to get guys in here like right after they've celebrated oh, one yeah. year. I've had a sponsee that it was stuff. in here one day on his 365 days. That's day. cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's fun. But I also like the wisdom and the, and the, um, the knowledge and the, and the experience, strength and hope it comes from people who have uh, been walking this path for a while. Yeah. Um, my, my January was my five years. Cool. Congratulations. Uh, I bounced around. Thank you. For about four years prior to that. Yeah. Uh, I always say bouncing off the halls and walls of AA and, right. and not really doing the deal and trying mm-hmm. to find some other way how I could do some half measures and Try get full results. Try to manage it some other way. And, uh. That was me. Oh, it's like, I know I turned that thing off. I usually turn these, <laughs> I always usually had to have one notification ding, I guess, before I realized that I need to turn that thing <laughs> off. Uh, interesting. Uh, my, my, my machine here doesn't tell me who the text is from, so I read it and I, and I'm trying to interpret who, who, who that one was, who that one was. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of the things you'll, yeah, I've had some guests in here, and I've seen, I've uh, kind of guided them at some level to tell their story chronologically. And I, and there was a couple people that I think that would have been better off to just let them talk about what they wanted to talk about. Uh, so I'm going to turn the microphone over to you. Well, a lot of times people start. I think it's important to talk about some of our family uh, system stuff because I see a parallel there. You know, yeah. a lot of times in the you'll older, definitely see my parallel. Yeah, o- older. Uh, Speaker tapes a lot of times will like kind of seem to start like when somebody started drinking, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and I know for a fact that I had some isms and had some things going on inside of me way before I took my first drink. Yeah. Yeah, now, I, I didn't see that until I worked steps right. and, and did some things to, to peel that onion back and, and see inside of there. Uh, I would have told you some of that was not true at one point. Right. Yeah. And, uh, or didn't bother me anymore. Right. That's another one. Yeah. That don't bother me anymore. I wasn't selfish. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, when I would have told anybody. I wasn't selfish. I wasn't hurting anybody but myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's another good one. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. That was my biggest lie. Yeah. So did you grow up around here? I did. I grew up in Jeffersonville, half Jeffersonville, half Clarksville. Yeah. That's a blurry line. Yeah. I'm not sure where that one starts and where the other one ends. Yeah, and I've lived here all my to life. Yeah, that's kind of why I one because they pretty much are. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I grew up, um, most of my life was spent in Jeff. Grew up alongside the railroad tracks that run down 10th Street by White Castle. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And uh, I actually grew up in AA. <laughs> my parents both got sober in 1989. Oh, wow. So I was seven or eight when they made it to the rooms. I don't remember their drinking. I just remember one fight when I was really young. And I remember my dad throwing stuff against the wall. Mm. I remember my mom crying in the kitchen. I remember my dad leaving over some milk. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. Yeah, that's stereotypical. Right. And then I remember moving a lot even after they got sober. Um, I've heard a lot of guys say that they were too busy being an AA to be a father even once they got sober, mm-hmm. a lot of old timers, especially, and that was my dad. I can relate um, to that. Yeah. He spent a lot of time. He was actually on the board at the Jeff Token Club and at Serenity House, the men's halfway house here in Clarksville or in Clarksville. And uh, he was just real involved, which kept him sober. And um, But I was kind of a latchkey kid. My mom, she was also in the program. She um, She went to school a lot. 
she uh, had to work, of course. My dad didn't work. He was on disability from when I was really young for hurting mm. his back. But my dad was gone to AA stuff. My mom was gone to school. So it was just me and my twin brother a lot. And then we had a little brother about 10 years later. <laughs> oh, really? So you and, have a um, twin brother. I do. And I can't vouch for what he is, but he shows a lot of the same signs I did 15 years ago. <laughs> um, and I pray every day for him. My little brother, he's a normal drinker. He can go drink one drink and take it or leave it. Really? I don't know anything about that. Yeah. Leaving a drink behind makes no sense to me even now. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't, um, I do remember always feeling like I wasn't good enough, even as a small kid. You know, I was embarrassed of the fact that my parents were in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know what that was about. I still don't know what that was about. Maybe I knew even as a child I was supposed to be here. (laughs) Um, but I do know that that bothered me a lot. I didn't like telling my friends that my parents were at meetings. I just don't know why, but I was embarrassed of it. Well, there's a stigma attached to it. And I think it's, I think it's lessening. I believe I feel anyway, uh, maybe that's a little bit because I'm here. Yeah. Uh, but it does seem like it's less of a stigma today than what it was. And my kids will tell anybody. (laughs) They don't care. They're proud. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when they were younger, they would tell anybody who'd listen, their mom's sober. They told many police officers. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I grew up, my twin brother, he was the smart one. He was very smart in school. He wasn't athletic, but neither was I. He always seemed to be the kid that my parents favored more. Hmm. I know that was a perception problem on my part. My parents never favored one of us more than the other. He was just a boy. He liked to go fishing. I did not (laughs) with my daddy, and my mom was always gone. So I felt kind of like I didn't live up to whatever I needed to. Um, I remember going to a retreat at Mount St. Francis, which is a like a spiritual retreat place up in, I think, Greenville or yeah, Georgetown. Or... Yeah. And I remember going there as a kid. It was some Alcoholics Anonymous thing, and they described what a black sheep of the family was. And uh, I identified with that, which I never was like a big troublemaker. <laughs> I don't know why I identified with that. Yeah. But that stuck with me. I remember that even, and it's been 30 years ago. So I kind of had that little... That was my niche or whatever in my family. I was the bad one, even though I never got in trouble. I don't know. I don't remember how old I was the first time I took a drink. I don't. I think I was around 11, 12 maybe. Yeah. I was a tomboy, so I hung out with my brother and his friends growing up. It was never me and girlfriends. I had one girlfriend that was really close to me, Tiffany, and... uh, but as we got older in our younger teenage years, it was me and my brother and his friends. And it was after we started hanging out with these group of friends that I took my first drink. I snuck out of the house about midnight. I would kill my children if they did this stuff. So don't listen. <laughs> I snuck out of the house in the middle of the night and uh, went up to Charlestown with some friends of my brother's and got super, super drunk on this drink called Aftershock. It was like a cinnamon something or i can still taste it i can't eat red hots today because it's ugh. but yeah i, I got, never them sugary liquors yeah never it was the one that had the cinnamon crystals growing at the bottom of the bottle yeah i don't know i never drank it again <laughs> but i got super drunk and i crawled back in the window and that's kind of how it went for about 10 years <laughs> but um that was my first time drinking i don't believe i drank again for 
I don't remember anyways for quite some time. But I do know that we started smoking cigarettes and hanging out on the railroad tracks and stealing candy from the, <laughs> the little gas station across the street and doing that good old juvenile delinquent stuff. Yep. And then I remember my brother and his friends huffing gas once on the railroad tracks and that didn't appease to me at all. But <laughs> Yeah, me either. I tried <laughs> no. that and that wasn't I've my hated deal. the smell of gas since I was little. Some people love it. I didn't know. But then marijuana came in the picture. And then drinking. And this was probably somewhere between 14 or 15. That those of us kids, they'd all hung out together. My house was kind of the hangout. And my parents were an alcoholics anonymous. How funny is that? Yeah. <laughs> but they were gone every evening. You know, they would be gone for meetings. So they would be leave about 6 or 7 at night. And they wouldn't be home till 930 or 10. Yeah. That's the prime time for teenagers to get in trouble. Right. <laughs> Plus, we were allowed to smoke, and that made our parents the cool parents. So, we'd hang out there. Of course, there was no alcohol at my house because my parents were sober. Um, so, we had a place that we hid it behind our house in this little shed, kind of like where we're at now. <laughs> we hid it down in this little cinder block mud pile that we had made to keep it cold when it was cold outside. <laughs> and we would grab that usually after school. I was too much of a chicken to drink before school. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I smoked dope at school. Yeah, I would do but, that, but, but I drink. couldn't drink. I was scared you'd smell it or whatever. And my dad, he <laughs> he was real involved with the token club in the Serenity House, so he threatened us all the time. He was, <laughs> he had one of those little, that was when those drug tests first came out. Oh, really? Drug alert or whatever they were called. He put one on top of the refrigerator, and he got these little alcohol spit sticks from Serenity House. And he's like, if I think either one of you were using or drinking, I'm going to test you right on the spot. He never said what he would do if we got caught doing it, but he never, ever used any of them. Huh. But I always know that I had that feeling where I wasn't enough. But that changed when I was drinking. I mean, I can remember that like it was yesterday. And I chased that feeling for 10 years. That feeling that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't complete. I know now that it's a God-sized hole, that nothing is going to feel but God. But I surely tried to fill it with everything. But I, uh, at 15, um, like I said, I had this whole scapegoat black sheep thing in the family. I had yeah, met at Kind of 12. set that up and then lived towards it. Yes. I had goals at that point, <laughs> I guess. But my brother had acquired a new best friend. He was the neighborhood bad boy. He was the one that your parents hate. So, of course, I fell madly in love with him at 12. Uh, I knew so much. But um, him and I were together for a very long time. And uh, at 15, I got pregnant. I knew at 15 that this baby was going to fill that hole that I had inside of me. This baby was going to make everything better. It was going to make me a better person. I wouldn't be this crappy person that I feel like I am inside. And at this point, I had stole some candy or a few little things. But I wasn't a bad kid. You know, I did, I did get good grades. I did want to please my parents I wasn't out you know doing bad crimes or whatever but I did think this baby was going to make it all better Hmm. Um, their dad also he is sober today and he suffers from the same disease that we do but sober but sober today he's got I think three years now oh good um but I found out very quickly after that child was born that um Babies take a lot more love than they give, and 
So then I had to adapt to another lifestyle. You know, I wanted everybody to think that I was this good teenage mom, and there was a commercial that played back in the late 90s. His teenage pregnancy got really bad in the late 90s. It was right before that teen mom show came out, I think. Hmm. <laughs> but they had a commercial on of a teenage mom with a baby on her hip flipping hamburgers. And I don't know why that commercial pissed me off something terrible. I'm like, that will never be me. So I wasn't going to, my parents were super awesome. Having this kid, they let me stay at home. They said, all you got to do is finish school and go to college. You can stay here as long as you need to. We'll help you do whatever you need to do. Hmm, Most parents weren't like that yeah. back then, especially. And um, But I had a very healthy, perfect baby boy. I did not drink or use during any of my pregnancy because um, I did want to be a good mom. I didn't want to hurt my baby. Um yeah, and back in that point, you know, probably the disease hadn't progressed. Yeah, and, it really you know, had. I don't you could, think that I crossed for that For sufficient line. reason, you can yeah. stop or moderate. Yeah. I remember once um, my dad getting mad at me because I couldn't quit smoking cigarettes, mm. but they made me so sick. And I got caught one time smoking by my dad. And he just happened to be with the kid's father at that time. He went somewhere with him. And I got caught smoking, and that was the end of that. So, <laughs> but he was healthy. Um, thank God, because I was only 15, you know. It was kind of normal that next year. Um, I don't remember. I remember feeling resentments towards him very early. So the way I was going to fix that was I got pregnant again. <laughs> <laughs> At 16, I got pregnant with my daughter. Wow. Um, and this one I hid from my parents because they had told me before if I got pregnant again before I graduated, they were going to send me to a maternity house and make me give the child up for adoption and all this stuff. And, of course, they did not. So I had my pregnancy for about six months before I told my parents. And then they finally asked me. I came home with, I had actually gotten myself one, the pregnancy insurance. And I had taken a lot of things for myself. Um, just didn't tell my parents about it. I forged their signatures on stuff. And, uh. That caused you to grow up really fast. It didn't really. It should have, but it didn't. didn't. I mean, it did for a temporary bit while I was. I knew what I needed to do to take care of my child while I was carrying it. Right. Unfortunately, they paid for that later. Um, but I had a healthy baby girl right before I turned seventeen. Um, and two babies take even more care than one. Blew my mind, and I surely didn't fill that hole up with these two babies that were screaming and crying. At this point, I started to live us two different lives, like Jekyll and Hyde. During the week, I went to school. I went to work at White Castle. After school, I took care of my kids. In between those times, I put my kids to bed every night. We got up. I went to Jeff High, Jeffersonville High School here in um, Indiana. And I was fortunate enough that I went to high school that had a daycare for teenage moms. And that my kids went to school with me. Um, I did graduate with decent grades. I don't know. They gave me my diploma. They can't take it back. So, <laughs> but I worked through the week and then Friday, ever since my kids were babies, their dad's dad, their grandpa, we call him big David. He, um, he would get them every Friday evening and I wouldn't have to pick them up till Sunday. That was his way of letting me and their dad be kids, do what we needed to do. Unfortunately, I couldn't do what I wanted to do through the week. I had to be the mom and the student and the responsible one. And I started getting real resentful towards their dad. 
because he got to run around and smoke weed and drink and do all the fun stuff you do as teenagers, I guess. And I couldn't. Right. So the resentment, of course, I didn't know that then. But now I know that those resentments towards him and my children were growing every day. And uh, that's kind of the life I led until I graduated high school, went straight from high school into nursing school. Um, I worked third shift at a treatment center. <laughs> that's still funny when I think about it. At Turning Point Center is where I worked. Yeah. And um, I'm familiar with worked all point. night I was as there a just not long ago. yeah <laughs> worked there as a tech on third shift and it was a really great job. I mean, I could study at night for my nursing school and and all that. And yeah, uh, pretty calm at night. Yeah, and, and then go to school during the day. I only slept maybe four or five hours a day because I would have to go to work, go to school, pick the kids up, take them to daycare, pick them up from daycare, rest for a couple hours, go back to work, and do it again wow. Monday through Friday. Yeah. So, of course, I still kept dropping them off on Friday nights to their grandfather. And off I went. You know, it was a goal of mine every weekend to set out to get as drunk as I could, as fast as I could, and stay that way till Sunday, early Sunday morning. Then I would sober up before I had to go pick them back up again. We would rent hotel rooms and just party or whatever we wanted to do because we didn't have our kids. And I justified that because... I had completely forgot about that thing of going and renting hotel rooms so you could party. I had (laughs) that completely slipped my mind. Yeah, Right. Because there used to be these little little dive hotels around and i think there's still some but there yeah. used to be a lot oh yeah yeah i could little name drive up ones. motels yeah me and my brother and my they didn't really ask any questions if you had to no. make. and at least one of us was 18 so <laughs> somebody could rent it and we just partied and they really didn't care yep as long I as forgot, you paid your money I completely and, forgotten about that yep we took full advantage of that yeah there used to be a whole bunch down 10th street they've shut down a lot of them thank goodness yeah they just tore a big one down in Clarksville that caused all kinds of trouble through the years. <laughs> but um, so that's kind of how I lived. I graduated nursing school you when go? I was 20. I went to Ivy Tech. Did you? Yeah. My I mom got my was LPN. the director of nursing there for a long, long, yeah. 30 years. Who was it? Her name is Donna Reeves. Oh, I love her. Do you know what I Yes. Yeah, that's my mom. That's cool. Yeah, I had her. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. There's a lot great. of nurses in oh, this yeah. area that have been... Uh, affected by my impacted by my mother oh yeah definitely she's a great lady oh thank you that's cool that's yeah. a cool little connection yeah but yeah i graduated from there um i didn't get the greatest grades i was you know we used to have a saying c equals nurse and i'd much rather want a c student taking care of me than an a student because the common sense is you know yeah more on the c range <laughs> that was just how i justified it anyway but I was tired all the time. I don't know how I made it through nursing school. But again, I graduated past my boards and they can't take it back. So, but I did that. I went from making, you know, minimum wage with two kids living at home with mom and dad. And then I went straight, you know, to making really good money for a 19-year-old, 20-year-old. And I got my first apartment. Mm. Um, at this point, I left their father also in this same two-month period i graduated nursing school got my own apartment left their dad we'd been together since i was about 12 i uh i hated him at the point that i left him hated him because he got to run around do everything that i wanted to do and i couldn't i couldn't tell him that's why i hated him i hated i told him i hated him for doing those things but in reality i hated him because i was jealous because i wanted to do those things if that makes sense yep so i got this apartment and left their dad, and I got fired from Turning Point for dating a patient. 
It didn't last <laughs> long anyway. <laughs> but, yep, got fired for dating a patient. Who'd have thought that was out, uh, outside the rules? Right. <laughs> Ethics, what? So, that didn't last long anyway. So, in this time period, I did have my kids. I believe right in this is where I crossed that line that the big book talks about. Where it went from drinking to wanting to have fun or whatever to fit in to an absolute necessity. Um, where I couldn't get out of bed without to drink alcohol. Uh, I ended up losing that apartment at one point, moved back home with mom and dad, then got my stuff back together. At no, at no point in this time am I thinking I'm an alcoholic or that I have a drug problem or any of that. This is just being young and being stupid. And I don't know, maybe it was. No, it's not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, uh, I moved back home, and then within about six months, I moved back out, got a, got a house for me and my kids, and... That is where I crossed the line. I had just turned 21. I was allowed to pass narcotics to patients before I was old enough to drink, which was weird to me at the time. But I uh, I never tried to go into clubs until I was 21. I was afraid. I was always afraid of consequences or being in trouble or somebody thinking bad about me or something. So I never tried. I just drank at home, had somebody buy it for me, whatever. It wasn't that hard back then to find no, somebody to buy yeah. alcohol for you. Yep. <clears throat> so I did that. Um, but once I got, I was able to go into the clubs, it was all, she wrote, I had a club for every night of the week. And like I said, at this point, I had my kids full time. Over about a six month period, I didn't have my kids at all. I went from being the full time mom, dropping them off at school, looking real good to the outside world, that I'm this full time single mom doing her thing, to now I'm a piece of crap who's homeless. And her kids are living with their grandparents. I got, um, I met a guy one night at a club. I don't know my time all that well. I just know what man I was with at that time. Yeah. That's my recollection time. Yeah, I say this thing. If I knew I was going to be telling this story, I'd have kept better track. Right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but when I met him, and by no means is it his fault, he just, more things got introduced to me. And that was off and running. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. some kind of magnetic pull, some kind of, when we start doing going that direction, people pop into your life that, yeah. that facilitate that somehow yeah, or another, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, I find that actually the opposite is true too. You know, yeah. as I do this, I, people are popping into my life that, right. that, that Good help influences. me do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a, <laughs> you know, you, you attract what you're after. You my know? dad used and, to say, you attract what you're looking for. Yeah. There you go. No matter, you know, because I've seen it a thousand times. I'm sure you have people in the rooms that aren't really there yet for the, to stay sober. They attract the other ones who aren't there to stay sober. And unfortunately, they go out together and some of them die. Yeah. Yep. And it's sad and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And, you know, we're not really doing it all on purpose. You know, that's like this thing of this guy coming into your life. And I can think of circumstances of the same where when I was on that track, these Mm -hmm. people came, you know, I bumped into people who helped my disease progress. Yeah. Yeah. It's not their fault. Right. I don't Absolutely. lay it on them, but, but that's the way it works yeah. somehow. And that was him for me. It I went from just drinking and smoking a little bit of weed to doing things I said I'd never do. Um, I was also a nurse. Nurses have access to a lot of things that normal people do not for free. So I learned how to manipulate that system also. Yeah. <clears throat> because when you're drinking the way I was and using the way I was, you have to find a way to pay for it. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, it gets expensive. Right. I had to supplement my income. 
and unfortunately it was illegal but the statute of limitations is over so sorry <laughs> so you never got caught no I, well i got caught they just didn't turn me in hmm. for whatever reason god say god wow. spared yeah. me that right you look back at those things where you were saying oh, yeah and i think i the amount they would catch me and they would just fire me or what i mean i would like do a drug test for them be positive i don't even know why i would volunteer to take it <laughs> who does that <laughs> and they just wouldn't call the nursing board or police or i mean i deserve 100 percent to be in prison yeah i mean most of us do a yeah. lot of us do that make it to the rooms instead of prison um but Amen. I did that for about three years, um, getting fired from different jobs for doing the same thing. By the end of 2003, I was homeless, living with the boyfriend's mom in the projects in Jeffersonville. And my kids were pretty much away from me full time. If I did have them, it was a matter of two or three hours and I couldn't take it anymore. And I'd send them right back to either my parents or his parents. Um, their dad and I didn't talk anymore. We had been apart for quite some time and we both had our highs and lows for a while he would do good and he would have the kids more for a while I would do decent I would never say I was doing good but thank God for the parents that we have yeah. because they shielded our children from a lot of stuff that they didn't have to see that had we been in another situation or even older yeah. they might have had to see or they um, fall into the system right and I'm so and... thankful they didn't um, my grandma passed away in 2003 I didn't find out till I was about five years sober. She died on, she died one year to the day of, I got sober the year later. She mm. died December 13th, 2003. I never realized that till I went to make grace out amends to her five oh, wow. years later. Huh. But um, I believe that her passing away was the start of, I don't want to say my downfall because it was never like an uphill thing. <laughs> um. We all have a bottom. It was the beginning you know, we of have my end. To get to that somehow or another. And yeah. That was the beginning of my end. When I realized that, what kind of monster are you? You know, I had managed somehow to get another house. The hot water wasn't working. The heat wasn't on. I was heating my house with the stove open when I did have my kids. I would have to call my father to bring. No, this was before we moved. Yeah, we had moved out of his mom's house because of tax money or something. Goofy. And then ended up back there a short time later. But I remember heating the house with my stove open and boiling water for their bath. And kids don't deserve to live that way. Yeah. Not in the 2000s, you know. And um, that was normal to my children. That's the worst part. My kids grew up thinking that was normal. They didn't have their own bedroom for years thinking that was normal. Going to school and seeing mommies and daddies with their kids and they don't have theirs and yeah it just it's heartbreaking what we do to everybody yeah. and don't see it yep not don't hurting anybody but myself exactly so again thank god for their grandparents yeah um, i still thank god for them every day so about another year of all the drama goes down my parents had been together for 33 years and early 2004 they divorced mm. and I took that really difficult. I don't know why. I acted like a grown baby. My dad ended up going out of town for some reason after they moved out of the home that I grew up in and moved off their separate ways. And I'm a daddy's girl since I was a baby. And I went to my dad's house and stole from him. That's how I repaid him for his heartache. I did the same thing to my mom. 
course, that's what we do. We run through the lives of the people who love us. Yep. And um, I stole from their grandparents, their dads, and they love me just like a daughter. They still do. And I just did everything to pull everybody down with me the whole time saying I'm not hurting anybody but myself. But like I said, that following year, everything started to fall down around me. I lost this other house. I had no car. I had no money. I was still working as a nurse, but I had no money because it had to go to my drinking. And um, I basically lived out of a trash bag in his mom's apartment in the projects. And my kids were staying between my parents and his parents and uh, didn't have their own rooms. Didn't know when they would see their mom or their dad. And if they did get dropped off to me, it was a very short time before I'd send them back. I would have to call my dad and say, Dad, I don't have anything to feed the kids. Will you bring me some money? He got smart after a while. He wouldn't bring me money. He would bring me food to feed them. Yeah. Um, but then I would call their grandpa to come pick them up so I could take the food back and get the money. Um, just that's what one drink does to me. That's what one drink does to this alcoholic. Um. They would cry when they would get dropped off to me. They knew I wasn't going to keep any promise to them. And they were five and six years old by this time. I was going to ask about how old they were. Yeah. They were, let's see. Yeah, if you were 16 seven or 17. and six when I finally got sober. Or, yeah, around that age somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and that's um, an age where, you know, they know something's up, but they don't. They yeah. can't process that at all. Yeah. They assume all they it's know normal and everybody not, lives that way. Yeah. You know? yeah. But they, they can feel something's wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they like would. you said, if they're coming and they're not wanting to be there. Yeah. Um, they didn't like, I won't say her name, but they didn't like miss this person's house. Because they knew my boyfriend wasn't the nicest. Mm-hmm. He had his own children he wasn't involved with. It just, it was just a bad situation. All just around. all around bad. It was abusive on both of our parts. And like I said, I'm just grateful my kids didn't have to see as much as they, as I thought they remembered when I got sober. In my head, when I got sober, they remembered all this. And then when they heard me talk about two or three years sober, they had a hard time with it because they didn't remember a lot of it. They didn't know about a lot of it. But I eventually got fired from the last job that I would work before I got sober. And, um, I had started to tell my dad a little bit about what I'd been doing. Of course, my dad is well aware of what's wrong with me. But my dad was also my biggest enabler. Hmm. He almost loved me to death. And he said he would just give me whatever I needed to stop me from maybe doing something worse to get what I needed. And um, I knew I needed to do something different. I wasn't really sure what it was. I was not going to say I was an alcoholic. I might be an addict, but I am not an alcoholic because that's what my parents are and I'm not like them. Yep. So I ended up, I got I had gotten fired, but God was looking out because for whatever reason, my insurance didn't get canceled hmm. for quite some time afterwards. It carried, a lo- it carried on long enough that I got to complete outpatient rehab. I picked the furthest one away that I could find, which was Baptist East, and I didn't have a car. But my dad, luckily, was retired or on disability, and he had a little part-time job taking elderly to doctor's appointments. So he was able to take me to my rehab every day. And I'm sure he sat outside there just to make sure I didn't try to run away. <laughs> but um, Did I you remember inpatient or just outpatient? I just went just outpatient. outpatient. I went in for my evaluation. Uh-huh. 
and I hadn't used anything that whole weekend. I don't know why. I was miserable, absolutely miserable and sick and shaking. And it could have been really dangerous trying to detox myself from the amount of alcohol that I was drinking. Yeah. But I did. And I remember laying there looking at my boyfriend thinking, how can he keep drinking? He knows what I'm trying to do. He's not trying to do it. He's now calling just like I am. So I don't know why I would expect anything different. But I remember getting so mad at him because he was just drinking in front of my face. But, uh. Yeah, I went. To, I called Baptist East on a Friday. They had me come in, did the evaluation. They said that I wasn't bad enough for inpatient. In my head, I definitely was. I wanted to be locked away somewhere. Yeah. Um, I did not want to go back to the house I was at. I did not want to leave there. Because for, you know, just a moment, you feel safe. Right. And it's telling this person you don't even know stuff you don't want to tell them. But for the first time in a long time, you're safe from yourself, from the world, from whatever. I agree. There's some, yeah. Yeah. There's that. a big power in just letting it go. And, uh, and take me and put me in some right. place for a little bit. So that, uh, lock me away. Yeah. A friend of mine says that, you know, back in the day, they used to lock all the alcoholics up in the loony bin. Yeah. And the crazy people didn't like us because we were crazier than they were. <laughs> and that's how I felt like the craziest person on the planet. I didn't know what was wrong with me. So they sent me home, told me to come back Monday. So I laid in bed miserable all weekend, not drinking, not doing anything. My dad picked me up that Monday morning and um, he drove me all the way to Baptist East. And for the first time, I realized what a piece of crap I was. Because as I'm sitting there in this room, it was probably 10 of us in this outpatient rehab. And somebody's graduating. And when you graduate, they pass around a little token and everybody says something good about the person graduating. As I'm listening to them, I couldn't tell you his name, what he looked like, nothing. But I do remember everybody saying these nice, powerful things about him. He'd only been going there for three weeks or six weeks, maybe. Um, But I remember realizing for the first time that nobody would have anything nice to say about me. Mm. Not my kids, not my dad. And I knew they loved me. I truly did. But I knew there wasn't anything good that could be said about me. And, uh. So I finished that that day. I went out to my dad's car when the day was over. It was like six hours long, I think. Wow. Yeah, it was like different workshops and whatnot. And it was like from nine to three, I think. It's pretty intensive for outpatient. Yeah. Um, My dad picked me up, and I remember telling him I can't leave here. I can't leave here. Because just like I did that Friday, I felt safe. I felt with people that I was comfortable with, and they didn't know them. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know me, and I was still okay with that. Um, I didn't want to leave there, but they made me. <laughs> my dad's like, you got to go home. I ain't going to keep you here. So he took me to my best, my boyfriend's best friend's house, which lived right around the corner from where I lived with him and his mother. And I had no business going there. It wasn't to drink or to use or anything like that. Um, my boyfriend had been calling. This was well before the <laughs> the time of cell phones. I mean, cell phones were around, but they weren't yeah, not prevalent as like, they are yeah. today. 2003, 2004. Yeah. My dad had the big Nokia, the doo doo doo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so my dad had one just for work purposes, or he never would have had one. So he had been blowing my dad's phone up trying to find out where I was at because it was one of those relationships where you had to prove where you were, how you got there, how long you were there, why you were there, all that stuff. Real good, healthy relationship, you know? So my dad, not being hip to the game of crazy people, 
he answered the phone finally when he called from a different number. <laughs> and he, my dad didn't know anything different. He, of course, he told him where I was at. By the time this is going down, I'm already walking around the corner back to the apartment. But I had forgot my folder from the hospital showing where I was and all my paperwork and whatever. So I turned around to go back and get it. <clears throat> As I'm coming back out the door, he pulls up and I'm like, oh, here we go. But I had no idea what was going to happen next. Um, it had been an abusive relationship, but verbally. He would not been physical with me. That's not true. He'd pushed me a few times. I'd push him. It was definitely not a one-sided abuse thing. But he came charging at me like a football player when he saw me coming out of this house. And he knocked me down, and I guess I hit a rock when I fell. And uh, I was wearing a white sweater with a zipper down the front. And I was carrying a Mountain Dew bottle in my hand. And I remember kind of being knocked silly, like the cartoons show the little birds flying over your head. That's kind yeah. of what it felt like. And I remember trying to get up, but I couldn't get my footing. And I thought my Mountain Dew had spilled all over me because I felt wet. And then when I finally, like, gathered myself, I realized it was blood. You know, a head wound bleeds pretty bad, really? and I guess I cracked it pretty hard on the rock. And uh, I had this white sweater that was now just red. My head is gushing blood out of it. Mm. And uh, he ended up picking me up by my hair and throwing me in the car, where he punched me in the head until we got around the corner to his mom's house, where he kept me until... His cousin finally showed up maybe an hour later because he knew that if I went to the hospital, what was going to happen? The police would come. Um, that's domestic violence. That yeah. It's not okay no matter what position you're in. No matter yeah. what you've done, no woman deserves that. No yeah. man deserves that. But um, finally his cousin did show up and took me out of there and took me to the hospital. I had promised my kids that morning that I would pick them up from school. I was going to, my dad was supposed to drop me off, do a couple runs or whatever, and then come back and get me and go get the kids. Because they had stayed after for a thing after school or I don't something. Or my mom was, I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> I was going to get my kids after school that day. Yeah, you made a commitment to them. And I wasn't going to make it. And I realized that when I got to the hospital. The cousin just dropped me off and left me. Um, I remember when we were back at the apartment still, his mom was holding my head under the sink trying to figure out where the blood was coming from. Um, and she said, how could you do this? You know how he is. And I don't know why that stands out to me so bad, but it, I can like it was your fault. hear it and I can feel it even just now, you know, yeah. 15, 16 years later. And uh, I did not understand how somebody who loves you can do that. Of course, I know now that is not love. But I had to call my dad. And my dad, <laughs> most of us have had that loved one that gave us that look. That look of despair with, they don't know if they'll ever see you alive again. I knew that look from my father all too well. Every time he dropped me off at where I was living, wherever I was living, I saw that look every time. And that day when my dad walked into that hospital and saw his daughter beat to death, I saw the look again. And by the grace of God, it was the last time I ever saw that look at his face. Um, I ended up calling my mom. She got my kids. And I sat there while, you know, they had to shave my head to put staples in it. The police came. The domestic violent people came. And I know that and my dad never left my side. 
And I know AA did that for my dad. Yeah. I'm a parent to a girl about the age as I was then. Not quite, but almost. And I don't know if I've been sober long enough to sit there and take it like my dad did. I know my dad called his sponsor and said, I'm going to need you to go get the guns out of my house. Mm. And my dad was very dramatic. I don't think he ever would have done anything, but I don't know. Um, but that was a Monday. I ended up, they did the pictures. I was black and blue all over. I weighed probably 90 pounds soaking wet. I, uh, we got done there. My dad took me to his house and he said, what are you going to do different? A friend of ours that my parents, a good friend of my parents from the program came to the hospital. She was a nurse actually from hospice or somewhere. And I, of course I grew up knowing her and she said, you know, sometimes God just has to hit us upside the head hmm. before we Literally. wake up. So as of that night, I moved into my dad's little three room apartment and, um, with that being a Monday, the Jeff Token Club, I don't know if you ever went there. Yeah, the old one? <laughs> yeah, the one that's gone now. But um, the Monday night group in the middle of winter, the internationally famous Jeff group, <laughs> was very full. I mean, that meeting would be packed wall to wall, just standing room only. And that, of course, was my first meeting. Oh, was I it? had just gotten my butt whooped by my boyfriend. I didn't have any clothes of my own. My twin brother actually happened to be living with my father at that time, too. Even though he's my twin brother, he's about a foot taller than I was and weighed about 75 more pounds than I did. And I had to wear his clothes. So I had on his jeans a with a rope head. tied around him with a half-shaved head and a big old Nike t-shirt. And I still wanted to put makeup on. Like, yeah. that made a difference. I mean, <laughs> some people are grateful that's a pretty, to have... <laughs> that's a pretty fitting outfit to show up for your yeah, first meeting That's, i know some people are real grateful they have a picture of themselves when they got sober i'm yeah. super grateful i do not <laughs> there's enough pictures that i'm glad social media wasn't around back right, then yeah. all that so i went to that meeting and my parents had already divorced and all that and they weren't of course on best of terms because it had just happened that year and had my dad on one side my mom on the other and i know when i don't remember who talked i don't remember who shared i don't remember nothing they read and then when they got to the chips, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. Of course, I've been going to meetings my whole life. Every birthday my parents celebrated, I was there. And I'm like, I'm not getting a chip. Mm-mm. Nope. I still was not convinced that I'm an alcoholic. Drug mm. addict? Maybe. Alcoholic? No. <laughs> I'm not like them, you know? Yep. But my dad shoved me out of my chair. <laughs> so I got the white chip. <laughs> and by the grace of a God... That's the only one I've had to get. Wow. I would love to sit here and say that sobriety has been so fun and just peachy and great. That'd be a lie. be a whole lie. Sobriety just is awesome. But the days still suck sometimes. Life yep. still gets yucky and ugly and sticky. And just because we quit drinking or using does not mean our isms go away. Yep. Because I promise you I can run through a life and tear it up just as good sober as I ever did drink. They might get sometimes somewhat magnified, you know, because yeah. they they get drowned in the yeah. fog of the dope and the booze. Yeah. And now i got to deal with it. Now i got to deal with it head on, right. Yep. <laughs> so then you avoid it even more and you almost drink over it. But luckily I have not. I've made plenty of life mistakes. I heard a guy say something. They told me he was a one-chip wonder. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah, heard that, that a few times. got one chip, so you... That's uh, I didn't do that. That was not my path. It's not I had a whole pile of uh, <laughs> right. white chips. I think whatever takes you to get here yep. is what matters. 
I don't worry about it today. Right. I know some people with 30 day sobriety sometimes have better sobriety than I do at 15 years on any given day, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have a good, strong foundation, but we all mess up. We're all going to mess up. Doesn't matter if you're sober or not. Just don't drink that day. Tomorrow you got a better shot. But my sobriety was pretty, I floated that pink cloud for the first year. Like my husband says it like I had my cape on. I'm going to go save the world, (laughs) you know? I moved back, I moved into my dad's house in this three-bedroom apartment, or three-room apartment, and I'd never been happier in my whole life. Never felt more at ease, safe, because all my dirt was out on the table. Right. You know, all my trash was gone. I wasn't having to hide stuff every day and live life like that. It's hard to live your life like that. It is. It's exhausting. The constant struggle, not only of how to pay for your drinking, but how to cover your drinking and how to hide it from this person today and that person tomorrow and... The guilt, shame, and remorse yeah, you're feeling. the emotional toll that yes, comes with it. just beat and... you to death. So I floated that pink cloud for as long as I could. Um, my dad ended up getting involved with a lady, which was fine. But that was my time to exit left. And I moved in with my mom for a little bit. She needed somebody to stay with my little brother. It just worked out. God, worked, God always works things out. Yep. Stayed with her for a couple months while she was out of town. And... Uh, Got my own house again. And I remember calling my dad every month. Dad, I paid my electric bill. Dad, what's the sewage bill do? What do I do? Am I supposed to pay that? Does somebody else pay that? And I remember being so proud of myself for doing the stuff you're supposed to be doing anyway. And he'd say, what do you want a medal for doing what you're supposed to be doing the whole time? My dad was one of them meat old timers that would just tell you like it was. He didn't care that I was his daughter. <laughs> he was just as mean to me. In a very loving way. Right, yeah. But he drug me to every meeting in the Louisville area um, every day of the week. We were at one meeting or two meetings or four. But my dad saved my life. Yeah. Not as my dad, but as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, what a blessing. He was responsible for me. Really touches me. When I didn't even have my hand out yet, you know. He was responsible. And, of course, he introduced me to tons of ladies. And I remember hearing the first lady that I could relate to. Her name's Betsy, and that was a life changer. Um, there's been lots of those in the program. But, of course, you know, things can't always go smooth. My grandma got sick. My mom's mom got sick when I was about nine months sober. I had been blessed with finding another job as a nurse. I was honest with them up front. This is what I've done. This is what I'm doing now. Please give me a chance. And they did. And I worked there for five years. And, um... But they allowed me to work there. When my grandma got sick with pancreatic cancer, they allowed me to bring my grandma there to take care of her while she was sick. Wow. And when she ended up passing away, she ended up passing away at Norton's. But um, I got to be there with my mom when it happened. Complete opposite of my other grandma. And I believe that was an amends that I got to make to my dad's mom through my mom's mom. Yeah. And show up. You can't have my drink. I mean, you can have my drink. For that experience, you know what I mean? That if I'd have been drinking or using still, it never would have happened. Right. I wouldn't even have been working. So that happened. It was difficult and it was hard and I had to feel it. And that sucked. But it was amazing at the same time. I remember everything about her funeral. I remember nothing of my other grandma's. Not just one song is all I could remember. And um, I got to be there with my mom, which was the best part. Like I said, we had gotten our own house. My kids had their own bedroom, oh, which wow. that was huge for me. Yeah. You know, just doing what I was supposed to be doing the whole time, but didn't. 
but now's my chance to raise these kids right and to make sure they live a life different than I ever did, to don't make the same choices that I did, you know. Plus, I was young and way cooler than most moms. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we lived in this house, just the three of us, and it was awesome. Then I met a man. He had like three days sober at the halfway house. <laughs> so <laughs> it was immediate, you know. Yeah, love at first love sight. Love at first sight. So we dated for about six months. Then he moved in for about six months, and we got married. And then we got divorced six months later. I saw the other side of alcoholism. This time it was him using in my home with my children. And I stood up for me and my children for the very first time in my life. Not just standing up for them, but I stood up for myself. Yeah. You know, this is not acceptable. This is not going to happen in my house. This is not going to happen in my life. I'm not going down with you. And he had to go. And he did. And... I don't know if he's sober today or not. I pray for the best for him. Um, but it was a hard lesson to learn. It's so hard to see the other side of it and not be angry, you know? Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you get sobriety, when you finally get it and live it, you just want to go smack everybody in the head and give it to them too. Yep. You know, just like, wow. And he could quote you the big book. He knew so much of the big book. And I've known so many people like that that have died on their bathroom floor with a needle in their arm. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you can quote a big book. you got to live it. Yep, you do. And I know none of us are good at it every day. I know I fall short every day. But I have a God that can pick up my pieces and help me carry on the next day. So all that happened. At the same time I'm going through this divorce, I had gotten really sick. I got poisoned by bleach, actually, at the nursing home I was working at. We were cleaning down walls, and they used the wrong strength of bleach. So I ended up getting chemical bronchitis. No big deal. But they found a mass in my lung when I had gotten sick. Oh, wow. And this is, I was supposed to have lung surgery 14 days after I kicked him out of my house. And uh, I got real angry at God. Real angry at God. I was working with all these girls, you know, young in sobriety, have a bunch of sponsees that are young in sobriety, trying to do the next right thing, and broken hearted, and trying to carry on, and... Now this, yeah, this is what I got really? sober for. <laughs> so I go down to the river to yell at God when I get mad at him. He's cool with it. We've talked about it. I believe that's fair too. <laughs> right. We're down there and I'm flipping through my big book and I'm like, you better tell me something because I'm about to go drink. I was about to throw it all away because my heart was broken. I was hurt. I was scared. I don't know why drinking was, it wasn't the first thought that came to mind, but it was definitely there. And, um, flipping through my big book and it says working with others and i'm like that's bullshit why don't you work with me god <laughs> come on <laughs> and i know today that he was working with me with those girls that i sponsored they saved my life i have no doubt but as i'm sitting there being mad at god flipping through the big book looking for answers <laughs> that i don't accept anyway i hear somebody say angela and i look over and it's a guy that i'd known in the program he was skin and bones he'd been using he had track marks all over him and I'm like, what are you doing down here? And he said, what are you doing down here? <laughs> and he was waiting to score or whatever, and they hadn't showed up. And he sat in my car, which I would never suggest to any woman to put a man using in their car in the evening. No, don't do that. But I know he was an angel that saved my life that day. Hmm. And I just so happened to take him down to the token club and met up with a really good friend of mine, Chris, and my now husband, Randy, and passed him off to them and they took him wherever and um i've seen him a couple times since then i've actually thanked him for saving my life that day 
And um, he's still out there in it, though. So you never know when you're carrying the message. Either you're drunk yep. or you're sober. You never know, you know. Yeah. He was my you angel that day. A distraction. Yeah. To somebody to help. Mm-hmm. And divert you from. Yeah. In an instant, I saw what was going to be you me. Yeah. You know, that would be me if I made that other choice. Yeah. So I started dating this one over here, Mr. Randy. And um, had the long surgery. happens to be sitting here in the studio right. with us while <laughs> sharing his Playing energy his with phone. us while, uh, <laughs> while, while Angela tells her story. I like that. I always encourage people to bring people with He them. could probably tell it better than I could. But um, the lung stuff ended up being okay. I ended up having a fungus growing in my lungs that caused from bird poop. Really? Yeah. It's real common. People that grow up on farms. I never grew up on a farm. Never lived around chickens. Not sure how I got it. Yeah. I've heard some things about that, though. People who have cleaned. Yeah, it's uh, called histoplasmosis. Who... Yeah. <laughs> but I ended up, they took it from my lung. I got on medicine. It's still there. It's whatever. So really? It worked out. It's still there. It's still there. The mask grew back because my insurance company didn't want to give me the medicine I needed as quick as they were supposed to. Huh. Which gave it time to grow back because you're unable. It's kind of like cancer. You don't know if you're getting all the spores out. And in the time, because it was a real expensive medicine, and the insurance company fought me for it, so the mask grew back within that amount of time. Hmm. Yeah. So, life went pretty good for... Quite a while. We ended up getting married, getting a house. Um, my kids were given back to me the day I got sober. I kid you not. The day I got sober, I went to, <laughs> to go see them at their grandpa's house. And he's like, oh, you're sober now? Here you go. Yeah, here. Take them. Here you go. Take these kids. So I was thrust back into motherhood and had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to be a mother. I know I love those kids with all my heart, but I did not know how to love those kids at all. I had to let the women in this program teach me. Hmm. how to be a mom, how to love those kids, how to show them love, but how not to be their best friend and be their mom. Because darn it, kids, when they get older, they just try to take advantage. <laughs> I've got two great kids, though. Um, <clears throat> but um, life was pretty good for a while. I, uh, I did not face consequences when I was drinking, like going to jail, none of that. But whenever Angela takes God out of the equation... And thinks that she's in control of things, bad stuff happens. Even when she's not using. The housing market crash of 08 affected yep. our family pretty badly. Hmm. My husband built houses. He was um, a framer for houses. Had a fine, a good, decent business for 15 years. When the housing market crash hit, his business went out. There just wasn't houses to build anymore. Yep. Like overnight, it seemed like. So he lost his, then we didn't, he didn't have insurance. It was just a messy time. I had left the one nursing home, went to another one to work with a lady that I love dearly, but she was a DON at this other facility. So I went over there to help her out and was real close with the doctor that worked there. And I decided it would be okay to write prescriptions (laughs) for his blood pressure medicine. And... She had wrote them for quite a while, like for about a year. But she didn't want to keep writing them because, you know, he wasn't getting blood work done. He wasn't getting, you know, checked by anybody. She was just refilling his blood pressure and his cholesterol medicine, which she could be liable if anything were to happen to him after a certain amount of time. So I'm like, we'll still never know. Well, I don't know how to fill out prescriptions appropriately. So when I took him to drop him off, I did. I stole her prescriptions and wrote them. 
and didn't know how to do it correctly, apparently. Because when I went to pick them up, they're like, this is wrong. Then I realized they had called her to clarify it. Mm. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so screwed. The next day at work, she didn't say anything. She acted normal. I'm like, okay, well, this is cool. Nothing going to happen. I was wrong. I, uh, about two weeks later, something completely unrelated was going on on a different floor of the nursing home. And a detective was called in about a patient's family had nothing to do with my situation. So while he just happened to be there, he saw the doctor and she's like, by the way, I got this strange phone call about a, a person, you know, Randy Chandler that I've never seen before. And of course he investigates, sees that I'm the one that dropped him off and they call me into the office. I had actually been on vacation. And then when I got back, I got fired, but that's not all that happened. She was upset when she realized it was me that had done it for good reason. I stole yeah. from her, yeah. you know, and uh, I used to justify it and say, well, it wasn't narcotics. It wasn't anything like that. It doesn't matter. It's a felony. And they charged me as such because mm. they called me into my DON's office, which her and I were really good friends. She loved me and supported me unconditionally through that. And my sponsor was also my boss. <laughs> and she loved me and supported me through that the best she could from her position, you know. Yeah. And um, I met with the detective. I was honest with him about what had happened. He said, I understand, but it's not okay. You're a nurse. That's abusing your stuff. And he said, you're going to have to turn yourself into jail tomorrow. I'll let you go home, tell your family. You'll be in and out of jail pretty quickly. They'll just book you in and let you out. Be done and over with. Okay. I've never been to jail before. I am terrified. Now I'm getting charged with three felonies. So, um, because it was three prescriptions, yes, theft one was theft, illegal conversion, or I don't remember what that one was, and then um, forgery. So, they charged me with three different charges for all three. Wow, and this is four years sober, yeah, six. I don't know, I think I was around six years well, sober when that yeah. happened, five, six years sober, yeah. So, that happened. <laughs> I did go to jail, I served 23 and a half hours in Louisville Metro. <laughs> And you'd have thought I came out doing hard time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I know now, if I knew now or knew then what I know now, you know, I signed a plea deal very easy. I wanted to own what I did. I wanted to be done with it. Um, I wish I had done that a little differently, but I didn't. And it's okay. You know, I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. I was real worried about that crime times paper that comes out. Real worried about that. So God took care of that. By the time I got out of jail, I was on every news channel. Nurse still really? prescription pad. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was ugly. Um, my dad just happened to not watch the news that day because he was at the hospital with my stepmother. So he missed it. Thank God. But, yeah, God let me know that the crime times was the least of my worries. Yeah. <laughs> I was on, I think, Wave, WDRV, and WHAS. So now I'm a wait, uh, 32 fan because they're the only one that didn't air it. <laughs> must have been a slow day that day slow news day but um i had a real hard time with that obviously kentucky would not allow me to be a nurse in kentucky anymore as i was a charged felon and i pled guilty to felonies um with a diversion program that it would be dismissed once i completed a probation program they left out that i will always have like i didn't have to say i'm a convicted felon but if it asks have i pled guilty to a felony i can't lie i need to say yes so it pretty much removed me from the nursing field, which is fine. I was actually given another chance here in Indiana 
Um, Kentucky took it. Indiana didn't. Uh, I worked again as a nurse at another nursing home. And um, I just was not feeling great about myself um, at all. In the same time period, my dad got real sick. He had been fighting COPD for probably 10 years. And he'd gotten, he had uh, chronic, Crohn's disease, sorry. Crohn's disease? Yeah, with his digestive system. Mm-hmm. He'd been fighting with that in the COPD for years. He went into the hospital in November. None of us thought it would be the last time he'd go into the hospital. And um, at the same time, I had gotten a new sponsee that August named Gabby. And she won't care that I say her name. But when Gabby got sober... In December of that same year, she lost her nine-month-old daughter. I know, Gabby. Yeah. And um, I was blessed enough to be her sponsor. I still am. And walking with her through the death of Gemma, and then she repaid me by walking through the death of my dad, you know, just a couple months later. Yeah. Is what this program gives us. Right. You know, watching her. Stay spiritual, stay connected to God, stay connected to people, stay connected to AA. Through Made me do the same thing. I know. Yeah, through something yeah. that I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine losing a child. No. And she is still my hero today. And I don't know why I'm her sponsor, but <laughs> but she's my hero. She um we all make mistakes and God knows her and I both have made plenty and sometimes we might co sign each other's, but <laughs> But she saved me, and um, I don't think I'd be here without her. Wow, yeah. And then... Yeah, I've heard that story, and that, it's I don't pretty know. Tough one, yeah. yeah, it is. It's one, one of the toughest ones I've yeah. listened to. It's all, it was awful. It was awful. I got to be there just holding her hand through the funeral. and She went to the same home group I did here in New Albany for quite some time in my... At Northside? Yeah. Yep. She's an amazing person. Yeah. Hope I can be like her one day. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting when these sponsee sponsor relationships evolve. Yeah. You know, from like there's this little deal first, it seems like, where you're like, uh, you stay on the level. You know, there's a a hierarchy for a while. But as we travel this path, that from my experience anyway, is is that we become equals again. Yeah. You know, and, it kind of levels out. Yeah, and, it levels out and we become friends. Yeah. You know, and that friendship that, that blossoms touches me. I yeah. fog up a little bit talking about it. Yeah. Because it means so much to me, these guys that God has handed me yeah. to be my friends, to support me through the things that, that we go through and support one another and do right. this whole we thing together for real. Yeah. And like what you're talking about, that's real, this, you know, that's real stuff. Yeah. And I don't know how to do this stuff. <laughs> right. Without that support around me. I don't no. know how. I, yeah. Like, uh, Yeah. Like, and I didn't have a clue how to walk through this with her. I had no experience with that. I just stood, I told her, I remember telling her over and over again, I'm not going to crowd you, but when you need me, I'm right here. I'll be standing right behind you. Yep. Wherever you are, wherever you need me, I'll be right here. So when you turn around, just know I'll be there. And then when my dad passed away, she said the exact same thing to me. And um, I know it's just, that's a relationship that, is only made through God, you know, that God put me in her life at just the right moment, at just the right time we found each other, you know? Right, yep. 
Yeah, this is the miracles is what I call them. Yeah. And I have a list of miracles that my sponsor had me start keeping. Absolutely. Of yeah. These things because he said the way they pile up, you will forget them if you do yeah. not. Absolutely, yeah. You and, start to forget and, those spiritual experiences. Now and again, I'll share something with him, and he'll simply say, put that on the list. Yep. Add that That's to the list. That's a good idea. <laughs> it's kind of like a long-term gratitude list in a sense. You know, yeah. when I go back and look at it and look at, you know, it really overwhelms me when I read it today. Yeah. Of the the, the things that have happened to me as a result of It's of like that thing they say, you know, when you get sober, if you tell them what you want to get out of sobriety. So And then you look short. back and then, right, you sell yourself way short yeah yeah i lost my mom 13 months sober after a real I, long yeah you know, for six months of the i was on home i was on home incarceration since to a year of home incarceration when i come yeah. in and they let me off at nine months but a good piece of that mom was really really sick and i was on home incarceration and Ugh. i couldn't right do, you know and at times i broke it because things happened she she that we would dad would get her home yeah and he, she would get up and fall, and he couldn't get her up. Right. And you know, and I just had to, you know, I would call him and just say, "Hey, I gotta go." And yeah. then you know, I never did receive any consequences for those breaking those rules. That's, I believe that's but, God. Uh, you know? Yeah, right. Those is that's you know, and then and then I ended up getting off of it, and uh, you know, I had had the opportunity to make amends to my mother before she passed, and it was just just like months before. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, and without the support of my of, of AA and my friends yeah. in recovery, uh, they they just propped me up. Yeah. There's no way I could have done that without without that help. Absolutely, and there's been a number of those kind of things that, uh, like I said, we always <clears throat> somebody something sticks. You know, to, nobody promised me that it will be okay, right? But if I stay tight to this, I can be okay. Exactly. My sponsor used to tell me, "You cannot do anything alone, but we can all do it together." Yeah. Yeah, I like that. One of my favorite that. speaker says, "You know, I could, yeah. I could never get sober, but we seem to be able to." Right, that's perfect. Yeah, perfect. That's the whole thing. This connection with my, because I have this men's group that's just super tight. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of us, and we had a home group meeting last night of sixty people that actually wow. participated, and to have that many men actually active and actually come to stay late. Right. Right. <laughs> That's and, big uh, stuff yeah, for everybody, you know, it's time to go home, you know, I mean, you got <laughs> right. kids to take care of, my wife, yeah. and whatever, you know, need to go eat, uh, any number of excuses of people that, that yeah. to not stick around, but uh, we're tight, and when somebody had, needs help, uh, the men reach out and help, and and it's just, it's just a miraculous thing, yeah. you know, to watch that, that happen, Yeah, and watch you know, lifting up people who are going through uh, really, really hard things. Bad stuff, yeah. Because just because we're sober, bad stuff still happens. Yeah. You know, after my dad passed away, that made some really bad choices. Started gambling. Um, started gambling? Mm-hmm. On horses. Never did it. Day of my life. My dad, I grew up with my dad watching the derby and betting on horses from time to time. He'd put money on football games or whatever. And it was never a big deal for my dad. So I didn't think it'd be a big deal for me, but it was just another outlet. It was just another way for me to feel better about the crappiness that I felt inside. Yeah. I felt all this guilt, shame, and remorse about these charges that I caught, the shame that I brought on my family, which was just my perception. Yeah. You know, all of the stuff that had gone on. Um, my husband and I actually separated for a time because I cheated on him. And we both tried to live separate lives. Then we realized, hey, we're married. Let's try to work this out. So we did that. And that's only by the grace of God. Yeah. He is my everything. He is my best friend. I do not want to live this life without him. Um, but above all, I cannot live this life without my sobriety in God. 
in my dad died January 25th, a year later, or no, he died February 25th, a year later on January 25th, I was diagnosed with cancer, with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I fought it for about a year and three months when they considered it gone. It was my son's 18th birthday when they said it was gone. And then one, three months later, it was back. I fought it for another year, year and a half, I guess. It wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't getting really better, but it wasn't getting worse. So um, after changing some stuff around to treat my histoplasmosis also, <laughs> um, they were able to get a hold on it better. Um, my doctor finally sat me down. He's like, look, this is the most recurrent cancer. You can keep fighting it. You can live your life in your home away from people, which we both know as alcoholics, that's not a good place to be in your own head. <laughs> I got very sick in the head, which is, I think, what not triggered the gambling, which made me get sick in my head. You know, between the cancer, my dad, this gambling thing, just I was on the verge of drinking or using. Um, when you have cancer, they offer you stuff all the time. Yeah. And uh, my doctor knew that I was an alcoholic, a drug addict, Back in the day, and he's like, you know, it's been long enough. Doctors are real ignorant to it at some point. And when you have yeah. cancer, I get where they, you know, come at it a different way. But I wasn't in pain. But I promise you there were times where I was going to justify being in pain, you know. Yeah, I wanted, wasn't in pain, but I wanted some relief. Right, exactly. And I'm real thankful for the relationship that I have with my sponsor, with my support group, with my husband, that I'm able to stay honest about that. You yeah. know, when I hear a gambling commercial on something nowadays and I tell my husband, you know, this crossed my mind today because I have to treat it just like I have my alcoholism yeah. and made it through all that stuff. I still have the cancer, but it's just okay. You know, I go to the doctor regularly. Wow. They check my blood. And now my heart is in the mix. It's going to try and kill me before my cancer does. So <laughs> about uh, two years ago, I was getting real dizzy episodes, like to the point where I'm falling down. And I thought it was blood pressure. You know, I'm a nurse. I know what this stuff is. Yeah, right. So Self-diagnosed. Exactly. I just need to take more blood pressure medicine or something. So I finally went to my doctor. They did like one of those halter monitors where you wear it overnight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sent me immediately to the immediate care when they got the readout on that. The immediate care ran an EKG and sent me immediately to the emergency room where they wouldn't even let my husband take me. They're like, no, you need to get an ambulance. And what I have is called unstable ventricular tachycardia. And the top part of my heart doesn't work as well as the bottom. Or the top wants to beat faster than the bottom can push out. So my heart will not fill all the way up with blood before pushing it back out. And then I've dealt with that for, it's been about two years. I have an internal defibrillator now. And if anybody would have asked me before October 23rd if I was okay to die, I would have said yes. I've made my peace with this. It's all good. I'll get to dance with Jesus up there, you know, whatever. You know, and um, Gabby actually saved me again. I started, ha I was sitting at home, had walked my dog that morning, have a pit bull and a German shepherd. So they walked me that morning <laughs> and I got back home. It was a day just like any other. I don't work for full time. I work part time at a restaurant. That's all my husband makes me do so I can take care of myself. And um, it was a day like no other, or just like every other. And I got, I don't know, I just had a weird, fuzzy feeling in my head. And then I remember, you know, when you're coming out of a dream, like you're kind of awake, but you're kind of not. And you're like, what's going on? 
you don't really know. <laughs> That's what I felt like. And I remember I couldn't catch my breath and I called my husband and I'm like, something's wrong. Just talk to me. Get me through this panic attack. Or, it's what I thought it was, was some kind of panic attack. And then I felt my chest right here where my defibrillator is and it hurt. And I'm like, maybe I got shocked by my defibrillator. And uh, while I just happened to be on the phone with him, it happened again. So while my husband is on the phone with me an hour away in Owensboro for work, he hears me go out again and there's nothing he can do about it. Oh, wow. So I hear him saying my name and I come back out of it again. This happens for a matter of like three or four hours before I'm smart enough to say somebody sent me to the hospital. But Gabby is a traveling nurse, so she was out and I'm like, I can't remember if I told her I wasn't feeling good or if she just came by. I don't remember. Um, but while she was there taking my blood pressure and checking me out, I had told her about what had been happening. And while she was there, I went out again. Hmm. And by this point, I started having VTAC seizures, which is where my body's trying to reset everything. And it's just not able to. So my long story short, I woke up the next day on a ventilator at Norton's Hospital. Wow. Um, the last thing I remember was my son. He rode with me in the ambulance. And um, I remember they took me to Clark initially, and I remember sitting in this room, like, kind of in of it, or kind of in it, kind of out of it, you know, and I remember looking at my son, and I said, it's getting ready to happen again, leave the room, and it happened again, and I remember, like, little clips of stuff, I guess, where I had opened my eyes over the next 24 hours before I woke up at Norton's, and at one point, I remember them peeling the defibrillator pads off my chest and me going back out. I remember my twin brother showing up and me grabbing his hand. And, but I wasn't breathing for myself. You know, they had me on the ventilator. And we found out the next day or the following day that my defibrillator had shocked me 22 times. Whoa. Plus, they had to shock me with theirs also within a Because very it was short, detecting something yeah, not right. Yeah, I was right, having so it the was... extreme VTAC where my heart was stopping it was it should have been doing that or was it something else no, and that's, it, that's not really what, what the defibrillator is meant to do right yeah it's, that's what it that's why they make me that's why they put it in because this vtac disease can cause that your heart to just get overworked or underworked or whatever yeah. and it just quits working and that's what it saved my life wow if i didn't have this defibrillator i would not be here right now the very first episode would have took me out hmm. um and knowing Amazing. that has changed everything like, I don't know, I think I would call it the hugest spiritual experience I've ever had. Like, I try not to get bothered by stuff anyway. You know, dealing with cancer and the effects of all that mentally and physically and spiritually. Um, most of the stuff that we get mad about isn't worth it. Yeah. You know, that day I would have died and been upset at my dog for barking at the neighbors or something, you know. Yeah. Like, it's not worth it. We don't know when we're going to lose the people we love the most, you know. I've told my kids, you know, that would, imagine if I didn't have that defibrillator, I would not be here. And the stuff that we've all been upset with each other about over here or over there over time, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, I got sober to live happy, joyous, and free. But when I made the choice a year and a half ago to stop fighting cancer and just let it be, it can kill me in five years, ten years, whatever it wants. I'm going to live my life. So me and my husband, we travel around to roller coasters and concerts. We Last year, we called it coasters and concerts 
Chandler coasters and concerts 2019 or something. So we're trying to come up with a new hashtag for this year. But that's what we do. We go live our life together and have fun and live happy, joyous, and free. Make the most out of it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'll be here tomorrow right. or 20 years from now. Um, that's a good but I know I don't want to waste it right. on anything that doesn't matter. Not that I never get upset about stupid stuff. Right. We all yep. do. Yep. But all... I try really hard to pull myself out of it really fast. Because I know that I could be dead five minutes from now. Was that worth it? You really know, land some day at a time living, you know, that, right. you know, cause you really are, you're, you know, and, and, you know, it'd be, it behooves us all really yeah, to operate with that same way. Cause that's, that is the truth. Even though I'm pretty healthy today, I am not guaranteed a tomorrow. Amen. And that has I actually mean, been landed at your feet to some level that where you feel it more, feel that more deeply. Yeah. Uh, and I had to struggle for about that first month. From, I was in the hospital about a week, and when I got home, it was a struggle just to not be afraid, you know, to not be afraid of dying. You know, I would feel a certain way, and I'd make him come sit with me in the living room and just sit there with me because it's scary. I never thought I would be scared of dying, mm. but it's terrifying, you know. I don't want to die today. I want to live, and I, my whole point in that was, you know, in 2004 when I got sober or before I got sober, I don't know how many nights I prayed that God just take me. Yep. Don't let me live another day in this madness. Just take me in my sleep I like the true out. coward that we are. You know, <laughs> let me overdose. Let me drink myself to death. Let me something. Just don't let me wake up. Everybody is better off without me here. And to know that today is the most selfish thought that a person can have. I mean, I fully get it. I fully get it. But nothing's worth that. I mean, like with the Kobe Bryant thing, you yeah. know, he kissed his wife, kids goodbye that morning, never knew that something he'd been doing every single day was going to kill him. And we have a friend that, um, Star, she just mm -hmm. passed a week, what, two weeks ago, and she had met with her sponsor the night before, God love her, and, you know, she never knew that was going to be the last time she was going to see Star, that yeah. any of us were going to see her. Right. I didn't know her, but. I yeah. I'm sure you heard about it. Yeah. 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 I worked with her for a while, and she was just. A light, a light that went out way too soon because yeah, of this disease. Yeah, I never knew death like I know it since coming into recovery. Yeah, it's you sad know, because people, you know, it's just it's 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 a it's a weekly occurrence almost. Mm -hmm. It seems that I know somebody in my yeah. inside or directly, you know, someplace in my perimeter. Yeah, uh, that falls to this one way or another, and for no reason. Yeah, other than they hadn't hit that miracle yet. Or yep. they had, they just didn't know how to accept it yet. Yep. And also, I think about how close I came. Yeah. To the same fate. I know. Like, I woke up in my car not knowing where I was at or how I got there or who I was with or how I was going to get home. And God always saw fit to lead me back home safely. Yep. You know, all of us, most of us. Yep. Got me out of trouble and lessened consequences and some things. And I just, I, I, I wonder back, you know, about, you know, and it's no, this it's fruitless thought, but mm -hmm. uh, you know that if I'd listened on the third DUI, or if right. I, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I did just like the book says, and it just always got worse and never better, and the consequences got deeper and deeper. And today, I'm actually very grateful for those consequences. Amen. Uh, because it finally jerked a knot in my tail tight enough that I would do something about it. Yeah, and uh, see, I'm thankful for my consequence, like the charges I caught. You know, six years sober saved my life and it's I have very no doubt interesting. about it yeah I have no doubt that 
And that's what I was saying. You know, we can do the same screwed up crap sober that we can drinking. Except now we have to feel it a whole lot more. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had something hit me one day real hard on that same thing on that doing stupid stuff sober. I had a garbage disposal on and I stuck my hand in it. Oh. <laughs> sober. Dead sober. You know, and, and, and that was the first thing I thought. I am smarter than that, you know, and it, all it did was nick my fingertips before I jerked back Thank out, goodness. so I didn't, it didn't, didn't take really a do it. Yeah, it, it knocked a little bit of skin loose in that, oh. but, uh, oh. but, that reminds uh, me of, like, that Saw movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's what, I mean, that's what I think about that I won't, you know, I am fully capable of doing stupid stuff, stone cold, sober, and yep. working this program. That's, um, yep. um, you know, I've witnessed resentment in people in sobriety you know that looks a lot like using mm-hmm. yeah you know, a absolutely. resentment can be so strong that it'll make people as sick as oh, if yeah. they were if it, it looks like a relapse sometimes oh yeah uh operating on some things uh yeah just like uh, you said you know qual- quantity of your sobriety really doesn't matter if it's not quality there's some people that have got 30 40 years sober i don't want anything they got yep Yep, and I see some people, you know, that like you said earlier, that are fresh. Sometimes that fresh sobriety is... It's that pink cloud. It's yeah, an amazing yeah, place to like, be. Yeah, like, let me some, ride it yeah, again yeah, for a while. Yeah, and I, I think that's why I cloud? like sponsoring people so much, too, because oh, I kind of yeah. get to get on the magic carpet in yes. the pink cloud with them. You see, know? I'm blessed in the and job that I have. That. I'm a server at a restaurant in Clarksville, and there's a lot of the halfway house girls that work there oh, really? with me, yeah. and I get to see them change. There's a couple of them that... I've watched them from newcomer to where they are now, and it's just a blessing. It's amazing and a blessing. There's nothing in my life that's that 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 fulfills me more than watching people's lights come on, and you know, and, and especially if I get to play, if, the, if yeah. God allows me to play a little part in that, yeah. be an instrument in His hand to hand this to somebody else, and I, there's just I I, I I I cannot put words watching a miracle to walk to have that happen you know and these these kind of silly things like you know parents come up and thank you and it just mm-hmm. blows my mind you know you know and i know it's not me yeah it's this but i did get to do something in it you know i got to yeah. be that instrument and then and, mm-hmm. and i and golly man i do I, most of what i do in my life is to to do that yeah you know recovery is my life. that's what we're doing here you know i sit down and and, and spread this message this way god's given me a lot of ways to uh, participate in my recovery in very unique ways yeah and uh and i try to take full advantage of those gifts because i think it would be a spitting in his face kind of right thing to not take them yeah to, to not to not take them so i you know it's uh it's a it's a it's just an awesome thing to uh to be a part of this recovery movement and help people oh yeah and my uh, kids like i said earlier they would tell anybody both of them won their dare essays when they were in fifth grade because they were like, my mommy's sober. I know the other side of drug addiction. And yeah. I'm so proud of them. They're 22 and 21 now. And oh, wow. my son's in graduate school at UofL oh, in music. Cool. Yeah. Um, my daughter, she's working in the healthcare field and she wants to do big things with her life. She's just trying to figure out her way right now. And it's an interesting dynamic of this, you know, because there's no, it's really the powerlessness of like child raising in a way. Right. I mean, look at what they're doing and mm-hmm. then how they grew up, right? You know, and a lot of people would say that's not the way that's coming out. Now, you really grew up in a family that was sober mm-hmm. and went the other way, you and know. And they grew up and, in a sick house, well, for part of it. Yeah, and, and so, like, you know, the, the, well, I hear people trying to, like, control their children's lives. Yeah. Uh, these kind of stories just show me, you know, like, that probably uh, child raising has a 
has imparted a, a, a firmer thing of a powerlessness. Oh, yeah. Than any 100%. other thing I've done, you know, and you think that I'm going to manage these little beings. Yeah, you try, uh, but you yeah, I can put some guardrails and, right. and kind of do that. Right. But there's no way that uh, that you can keep them inside. And, and yeah, it's like a raised. crib. You know, you prepare the crib for the baby. You put the bumper pads up around the crib so they don't knock their little head. But when they get old enough, they're going to climb out of that crib and fall and bust their head wide open. Yeah. And you just have to let them do it. Yeah. Try to pad the ground a little bit. Try to make it a little softer landing. And one of my daughter's friends, great kid, great, great kid, 20 years old, on his second DUI. And my husband even talked to him, like, you know, maybe we should think about what's going on here, buddy. That's not normal. Normal people can go their whole life, drink a little bit, never get a DUI. Yep. He's like, I'm just passing on my experience, you know, because he had two before he was 18. <laughs> and I pray. He knows where we stand 19. on recovery, and I pray he finds his way but. yeah yeah it does uh i have some sponsees in their 20s and, and around that and it's amazing to me because i couldn't there was just no way i got sober at 45 yeah i was uh, 23 he was 26 yeah he got that's amazing you know to, to to get turned around when you're that old because yeah. uh it don't happen much you got no. that superman complex kind of thing going on and she <laughs> yeah. don't keep on doing what i'm doing yeah it was that captain america shirt is that what that is i think so yeah. yes yeah, and now today we actually do get to kind of be superheroes in a way, you know. Yep, uh, we have our AA capes on. Yep. Too bad we just can't save the world. They have to want it. Yeah, yeah. But it's there if you need it. Just put your hand out. And GSO has phone numbers all over this country, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're listening. You can look up General Service Office for AA, and you can find a meeting near you. They'll even hook you up with a person like you that's a drinker and help you find your way. Yep. Just know that's an option available out there. The power to change your life is within your reach, but you got to do a little reaching. Yep. It ain't going to come to yeah. you. And we are fortunate here. You know, this is just, people say they can't make a meeting around this area. I know. Right. Uh, You're just not trying. Yeah. <laughs> there's rides available, places. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. you, you get on, you walk, bicycle, you know, so you, you can get there if you want to get there. Yeah. Mickey talks about how there was literally 30 meetings when he got sober in 1966. And now there's over 3,000 in the Louisville metro area. Yeah. I mean, and there's probably far more than that that aren't even, you know, listed. But yeah, you're not trying if you can't make it to a meeting around here. But thank you for having me. My mind always goes blank when I'm done. To go, yep. Yeah, I can always tell it too sitting here. Uh, most people, there'll be a, like a sigh, you know, yeah. that's what'll happen. People like will exhale. go. <sighs> And, uh, and I know that they've uh, completed their story. God the has moment, left the you know? building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, something I was taught in yoga, you know, because, you know, you never really feel like you told, told it all, you know, but we yeah. get to a little bit of expanded thing here. Uh, at the podium, it's a pretty compressed, really, yeah. time period that yeah, you definitely. have to be able to. You kind of had to, especially as you go down the road, you almost have to pick what, what I must, you know. Right. Like, God help me say tonight what I need to say. And then and be quiet. Be That's what my sponsor makes me add in that last part. And be quiet. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then be quiet. <laughs> and that happens here. And, uh, and we say, uh, when we would share in, uh, I went to yoga teacher training, and we would ch share in a similar kind of manner. It was a very parallel kind of yeah. thing going on where you would sit and share your stuff. And, and, uh, you know, and they said, are you complete in the moment? You know, that's, that's cool. Uh, I like that. That's, that's a cool way yeah, to put it. It's not, you know, it's that not saying that I'm on. done. Right. But you do, you feel like, okay, I've gotten out. That's it. I've yep. gotten it out. And then you, uh, 
I think Granny's told me you have three talks. You know, the one you're gonna, the one you want to give on your way there, the one you actually give, and then the one you give afterwards. Yeah, the, the one you should. <laughs> I've gotten out of that over you know a few years sober, but I used to do that a lot. I'm like, man, I left this part out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I fully believe when I do that prayer before I speak that uh, what I said is what's supposed to oh, be yeah. said. And the Absolutely. same thing with here. Like, well, sometimes we'll shut off the microphones and somebody will say, oh, I forgot. And I said, well, you know, that wasn't supposed to be here right. today. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's God operating in it. So yep. And we just have to trust that that's it. And yeah. Want to come back sometime? I'm really willing to have you back, you right. know, because these stories change. And oh, yeah. Expand Absolutely. And something happens and miracles and recovery happen that, uh, that I like to hear about. And, uh, and you certainly are one, uh, the, the, the things that you're, living through and gone through as a result of this stuff and doing it with grace and and strength and and it's yet still the vulnerability that you show when you talk about it yeah uh you know those those are those that's that's that is the uh what somebody else said the jelly and the donut for what's going on here is yeah, to watch people do this thing yeah. no matter uh no matter what we go through no matter what's happening uh we have a power that we live with today that helps us walk through it no matter what. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you uh, for having me. Thanks, Randy, for coming. I'd like to get you on here and have you talk because uh, I'm expanding. I like the local I'll flavor you of it. I'll text you and get it set up for you. Because <laughs> uh, we hear that stuff out there, you know, and I was a big speaker tape junkie. Someone's turned me on yeah. to it, and I've listened to a lot of them. They were really good for my early recovery, and I oh, still yeah. do it because I was able to put something in my head where my head wanted to think about other things. Mm-hmm. I could put, I could brainwash myself at some level, and yeah. that was a good thing. It washed out and the, those other thoughts and put these thoughts in. Put the AA in, get and, the uh, nasty out. <laughs> yep, and I like these things of local stories. You know, we hear yeah, the ones on the big circuit speakers more, yeah. and all that, and and get us regular people in here, right? Because our stories are just as fantastic just and have as just good, as many yeah. miracles in them as uh, as your circuit speakers out there mm-hmm. on the internet. So I always close in the same way. Um, I, uh, if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And as always, uh, thank you all for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner today. Peace out.